0: Okay, well, we mentioned this last week. I, I kind of just prayed it now, but um, we are starting a new series this morning on the book of Ruth. Um, I am personally excited. I have no idea if you guys are going to enjoy this or not or if I'll do a good job teaching it, um, but I love this book of the Bible, and um, I just I always enjoy getting to spend time in it. My study time has been just fun and rewarding, and so I'm excited. I'm hoping that it will be a blessing to all of us. Um, but the book of Ruth, you know, it's a small... Small little book. It's four chapters just kind of tucked away in the Old Testament. Um, its placement, you know, is right after there's, there's Joshua and then the judges. And then we move into the story of, of the kings as uh, we have first and second Samuel and then into Kings and Chronicles. And it's just kind of nestled in there. Um, but this story is so rich and so full. Um, the book is about Jews and Gentiles. It's about seasons. It's about um, things that we see in the Old Testament, um, signs and and ceremonies that are all symbols pointing to who Jesus is and what he does for us. And so we're going to see that stuff as we unpack this. It's a story about friendship. It's a story about being single. It's a story about falling in love. It's a story about being a man and being a woman of God. It's a story about loss and redemption. And Jesus is on every single page. He's on every single page. Um, So it's a story about you. It's a story about me. And it's a story about our Savior. And so that's that's where we're going. We're going to unpack this story. One of the things that I love about about this book in particular and the journey we're gonna go on together is something that, that I believe about the entire scripture. And that is that the Bible is one complete story. Now that might feel really obvious because we carry around a single book, but we didn't get this book like we get any other book. There wasn't somebody that sat down one day and wrote a story and then wrote the end and then there it is and it got published. The Bible was put together over several thousand years by over 40 different authors. These people, many of them never even met each other, and yet it tells one cohesive story. And, and the beauty of what we're going to see as we go is we're going to find ourselves at times 1,500 years before Christ. This story takes place probably twelve or 1,300 years before Christ in the time of the judges. Um, we're going we're gonna to see ourselves uh, in the life of David a little bit and see his connection to this story. And ultimately we're gonna find ourselves returning over and over again to Jesus. Things he has already done and things that are yet to happen that he's gonna do for us. And so I'm excited as, as we will see how the book of Ruth kind of dovetails into these different things. Um, we're gonna learn a lot from the Jewish history and culture that, will, that should enrich our understanding of Jesus. For us as Gentiles, I mean, I, th- I think I'm speaking for most, if not all of us in the room. For us as Gentiles who did not grow, grow up in a Jewish tradition, the richness of who Jesus is uh, comes to life through the lens, through the picture of what, what Jewish culture is, what the Old Testament speaks. Jesus is hidden throughout the entire Old Testament and I'm believing that's really gonna come to life. So those are just kind of big picture where we're heading. Um, as kind of an, an anchor point for this study, our, our focus is going to be on this word, hold fast. And we, we actually kind of on purpose, I didn't tell you this last week, but kind of on purpose, um, I included Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It's, it's going to be kind of the anchor point um, for us going through this book. And so I want to read this to you one more time. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. At the end of the day, this book is about us holding fast to Jesus, the one who is faithful. Whether things feel that way or not along the way, we have a great hope, and it's because we can count on him to come through for us. And so that's, that's going to be the story of the book of Ruth. And so we're going to discover each week along the way some particular things or some particular ways that we hold fast. I also believe we're gonna to discover together that he's holding on to us. That even when our grip is loosening, his grip is sure. He's, it's sure, he's holding us fast. And so that's, that's where we're heading. Okay, so this morning we are primarily gonna focus on the first few verses in Ruth chapter one. I'm gonna begin by just reading verses one and two and then we'll sort of set the stage for where we're at, um, kind of the setting and some of the characters that we're gonna discover in this story. You guys ready? Yes. Yeah, two or three of you are ready, awesome. Everybody else, you're <laughs> welcome to join us. Um, all right, so Ruth chapter one, verses one and two, here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And by the way, I'm going to have you guys pronounce all of these names throughout the series. I just want to make sure you get ready. Um, truth is, I will butcher them, I'm sure. Uh, the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilon. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So here's our setting To give us a little bit of background, um, the, the, the nation of Israel has been birthed in the Exodus as they came out of slavery in Egypt. They'd spent around 400 years there. They then wander around in the desert for 40 years. And then as Moses kind of gives way to Joshua's leading, they move across the Jordan River into the land God had promised them and they begin to take over that territory And so the time of Joshua and the conquering of the land has has passed, and now we've moved into this season where God's people are living in the promised land, but they didn't follow everything God said. They didn't eradicate all the people they were supposed to eradicate. They didn't do all the things they were told to do. And therefore, because of that, there is this constant tension, this constant turmoil. There are seasons of blessing where things are good. There are seasons where they struggle. Um, And this particular season seems to be a season of struggle. They are in the land. They are being ruled by the judges. The time of the kings has not arrived yet. And in the midst of this, there was a famine in the land. And so as this famine is taking place, we've got a story of this guy. And we, we hear this very familiar place get mentioned. Why do we know the name Bethlehem? Anybody want to shout it out? Right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. We at least know that song probably, right? This is, this is the town where Jesus was born. This is a tiny little village. This is not a big booming metropolis. And it's, it's fascinating to watch how Bethlehem just shows up over and over again in scripture. And so here we are in this little town of Bethlehem. And here is this man who's married and has a couple of sons. And in the midst of this famine, they strike out on a journey. And so they leave. They leave the place and the territory that God had for them. They leave their hometown and they go to the land of Moab. And what's happening, they are going to stay with people that God said, those people are my enemy. The way they live, the choices they make, they're my enemy, don't go there. And they are going there to find refuge and comfort in the midst of their season of need. Y'all get, y'all get in the picture here? And so here we have Elimelech going out. now. Um, One of the things that we will do along the way every now and then in the series is we will stop and we will look at um, maybe like a feast that gets mentioned. and go, what is that feast all about? There are going to be other times where we stop and look at what names and places mean. In the Bible, it is not an accident when somebody gets named something. It's not just like, hey, I think this name sounds kind of pretty. I'll choose it for my child. Um, The meanings of the names in the scripture were meant to, to communicate something about the person. They tell a story. Um, it's a fascinating study even to take the genealogies of Jesus. It's like when I was a kid, I can remember, oh man, skipping over that one and like getting to the actual story. But they're rich when you stop and look at the meanings of the names. They tell a story. So with that in mind, our characters' names tell a story. Elimelech's name means my God is king. My God is king. I want you to remember that. Put a little pin there. His name is my God is king. Naomi's name Means pleasant, pleasant. Can, can I just tell you, if we don't hear anything else the rest of this morning and the rest of this series, God has a promise for us. When we will make him my king, it doesn't just say God is king, that would be true. My God is king. When, when I take Jesus as my king, life is pleasant. It's not perfect, it's pleasant, it's good. To be his kid. It's good to live in his kingdom. He's a good dad. He's a good king. And so that's the message right off the bat. Here's this couple. My God is king and it's pleasant. But as so often happens, things go sideways. Things don't work out. There's a famine. They begin to be in need even in the place God has for them. And so the story begins. They go on this trip and they go into this land of Moab to seek refuge And notice it starts out as a visit. I want you to see that. In verse 1, it says they went to sojourn there. That that means temporary. I'm going camping. I'm spending the weekend. Uh, It's vacation. It's a a brief moment. I am stopping even along the journey to just camp somewhere for a little bit. It's a temporary thing. They, They moved there for a season. And within one verse... The story changes. They went from sojourning. Look at the end of verse 2. They went into the country of Moab and they did what? Stayed there. They stayed there. They remained there. They set their home up there. Y'all, I just have to tell you, I don't know what your version of Moab is. I know what versions in my life of Moab have been. But it is incredibly easy in our lives to move into seasons of our life, or even to go looking somewhere else for for what we need, for fulfillment, when I'm feeling like God's maybe not meeting that need, when things are a little dry. Anybody been in a desert, dry season before? I won't make you raise your hand if you're in it now. Those happen, they're rough, they're hard. And the pull in our heart is to get relief somewhere, anywhere, where can I find comfort? Where can I find rest? And if we're not careful, we'll be drawn away from him and towards things that look appealing. Things look a little better over there. And so I'm going to go try that out. And if we're not careful, when we let our guard down and we go take a little season, a little moment over here, that really quickly moves from being a sojourn, a camp out, to home. I start building a permanent place there. That's dangerous territory to be in. And I just, I find it interesting, specifically what the text says happens next. They remain in Moab and look at verse three. But Elimelech, my God is king, the husband of Naomi, died. When we start making other places home that were never meant to be home, when we find ourselves removing from, God, I'm trusting you and your provision, even in this dry season, even in this famine. God, I refuse to go looking anywhere else for help. I'm going to camp right here and wait on you and hold on to you. I'm going to hold fast to my king. That's the message this morning. I'm going to hold fast to my king. When I'm not careful and I don't do that, seasons go from seasons to being a way of life. And there's death in that. You may not physically die, but you begin to die. And it begins to be harder and harder to see our king and to hold on to him and to trust him. And we find ourselves dying a little bit more. And so what's Naomi left with? When he dies, she's left with her two sons. Their names mean sickly and wasting away. Sickly and wasting away. Unfortunately, I just have to confess to you guys, that's familiar to me. I've been there. I've set up camp in Moab. I've made it home. And I've found myself being in seasons of my life where I just feel like I am dying. I'm wasting away. I'm sick. I can like feel it in my bones. The the first thing I wanna say is sorta just a warning to say, don't do that. Don't do that. When you're in a dry season, when you're in a famine, hold fast, hold on. God has a way of making an oasis in the desert. He has a way of doing that. So so hold on, hang with him, trust him. But if you've found yourself there, you can come home. You can come home. And the entire rest of this story is about that journey home. God is good. He is faithful. He redeems. And so we pick up in verse 4, and we're going to mention a couple of characters that we're going to wait till next week to get into. But in verse 4, it begins and says, These two, or these took, talking about her two sons, they took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Think how long Naomi just made that home. She lived there for 10 years, sickly, Wasting away. My God is king has died. Along the way, both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. She heard that he was faithful and he'd come through for his people. And so she decided to return home. Now, I don't want to overrate this, but I do just want to pay attention to the wording there. She had heard that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Did you notice that? Not my Lord has visited and given me food. He's returned to his people. There's already a disconnect starting to be felt there from her King and from her people, but kind of like the prodigal son, right? She's coming to her senses and okay, I, there's something to eat there. Let's head back. I'm sick and tired of being in this place. I would just encourage you guys, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you can go home. You can go home. And there's redemption. And so they they set off and they go home. Now I'm going to skip this whole passage that we're going to unpack next week, where Ruth and her, or sorry, when Naomi and her two daughters-in-law have this exchange. That's going to be what we talk about next week. So skipping to the end of chapter one now as they're returning home, verses 19 through 22. It's now down to two of them, Ruth and Naomi. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Remember, she's saying, why call me pleasant? Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned home and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's already kind of there implied in in the passage, but just to make it clear, this name that she takes up for herself, it means bitter she grabs a new name for herself. Our tendency, when we let go of our king, we don't realize something. We find who we are in Jesus. Our identity is anchored in him. And when we lose hold of our king, we begin to lose hold of our own identity. And Naomi embraces a whole new view of herself. I'm just bitter now. I'm bitter now. I'm hurt. I'm wounded. Look what's happened to me. And, and look who's done it to me. I mean, she's, she's describing God as the one who has let her down. I think a couple things are interesting here. Number one, nobody comes rushing in and lectures her. I'd kind of like to have some friends like Naomi had. They don't come in to lecture her. They don't come in with all the answers. They're just present. They're present. They're excited. She's back. They don't try to fix all the theology that's broken. They just stay with her. They're thrilled she's there. They embrace her. They let her, her share heart. I'm broken and I'm angry at God and I'm hurt and I'm let down by him and she's just real. And the only glimpse of hope that's in the whole thing is the very last phrase, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. There's this little hint of the whole rest of the story and how the Lord wants to redeem and heal what's been lost and heal Naomi's heart. But she's she's brought herself home. She's bitter, she's broken, she's hurting. I find it interesting that if if you look, if you stop and you read through the rest of Ruth, nowhere in the rest of the story does anyone refer to her as Mara. Her friends don't and the Holy Spirit doesn't. When she's being referred to by the writer of Ruth, God is still intentionally calling her Naomi. We don't lose our identity, but we can lose sight of it. We can lose sight of it. We can take on seasons of our life where we just, we feel a certain way, we're stuck in a certain place, and it can become so familiar that it's, it's our new name, but it's not, it's not our name. God does not see us that way and he can handle our brokenness. God doesn't smite her because she's angry with him. His heart goes out to her. He sees her brokenness. He sees her hurt, and he welcomes her home. And then he begins this process of loving for her, caring for her, restoring her, redeeming. That's the whole rest of the story. A few generations earlier than this, The name Mara shows up, but it doesn't belong to a person. It belongs to a body of water. And so we're back now moving. I told you guys we'd kind of move around a little bit. We're back now moving into the season where God's people have just come out of Egypt and Moses is leading them and they're moving into the wilderness. And we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out in the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. That's a long time without water. They're thirsty. They're in a desert place. Verse 23. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. I believe that that right there holds the key to what we need to do when we are feeling bitter and empty and dry. We cry out to the Lord, and I believe he will show us a tree. And he shows him the tree, and it says, when Moses cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet, Can I tell you something? That's not the right English word right there. It's the word pleasant. Did you catch that? What was Naomi's name? Pleasant. Where Naomi had become bitter, God will take what is bitter and make it pleasant again with the addition of a tree. Isn't that beautiful? This is the Old Testament. They don't know about the cross. They don't know about Jesus. This is what God does. He exchanges beauty for ashes. He exchanges bitter for sweet. This is what Jesus is up to. And I love this beautiful picture right here. It's the two places in the Old Testament where this name shows up. And God says, I will take what is bitter and make it sweet. And I just, I find it interesting if we skip down just two verses, As soon as God heals these waters and they can drink them, they start walking again and look where they go. Verse 27, the very next place. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they were camped there by the waters. You know what that's called? An oasis in the desert. Now, my problem is I'm irritated they didn't go there first. Like, God, you brought us through the Red Sea. You parted the waters. We came out of Egypt. We're in this wilderness. Why didn't you take us straight to the oasis? You know what the answer is? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't get it. In fact, it bothers me. God, why do you let us go through these dry seasons? Why do you let us go through these hard times? What are you doing? But see, this is the whole story. From, from the minute of the fall, it took like two chapters of the Bible for things to be wonderful. It took the whole rest of the thing to fix what we broke. The world is broken. I'm broken. I got news for you. You're broken. But God is telling a redemption story. He's putting the pieces back together and he will take these dry, worn out, bitter seasons of our life and he will exchange them for something beautiful and sweet and pleasant. It becomes rich and full when we we look to the man on the tree and he brings life. And He won't leave us there forever. He's bringing us to an oasis. He's bringing us to living water that never runs dry. That's what He has for us. But He lets me go through this first. He lets me go through the desert season. Why? I don't know why, but I know what. I know what I should do. I should hold fast to my King. I should hold fast to my king and I should hold fast to the identity he's given me. I should not pick up other names along the way. I don't have to accept hard seasons, bitter moments as my new way of living. I don't have to accept that. And when I found myself living there, stuck there, I can return to my king. And I I may not know how he's going to redeem it yet. The path may not be clear. It may not be obvious but I can trust my life in His hands and believe that He will redeem. One last thing I wanna wanna show you guys and we'll wrap up here in a minute. This this story is in each of the Gospels, but in particular, I wanna look at where it shows up in the Gospel of John. Jesus has gone through um, the night of betrayal, He's gone through his trials. He's gone through the beatings. He's gone through the crown of thorns. He's he's made that long walk to the cross. And he's now been crucified. He's at the final moments of his life before his death on the cross. And in John's gospel, chapter 19, verses 28 through 30, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now fulfilled, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He said he did this to fulfill all scripture. He's speaking specifically about Psalm 69. And in Psalm 69, I wanna give you the flavor of this, but I'd encourage you to read the whole Psalm, maybe even today, tomorrow, read the whole Psalm, Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is a cry for salvation. Psalm 69 is God's people calling out for help when they're lost and struggling. And to give you a flavor of this, I wanna read a few of the verses. I'm gonna read verses one through three, and then 14 through 18. This is a Psalm, by the way, of David. Verse one, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim and waiting for my God. Verse 14, deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies." This is a psalm of God's people anxious for hope and for help and for redemption. And as Jesus is on the cross, his mind goes to this psalm and he's like, oh yeah, one more thing I got to fulfill. One more thing. Psalm 69 verse 21. They gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. This sour wine that's described here and in John's gospel, it's a type of vinegar that's produced from wine. And then the way that it was drank, it was mixed with water. This was a peasant's drink. That's what it was known as. And Jesus takes that to his lips in his final moments. This wine shows up in one other story in the entire Old Testament. You want to guess what book of the Bible it shows up in? The book of Ruth. We're gonna get to it in chapter two. It shows up when Boaz, who represents Jesus, comes to Ruth after she's been slaving in the field and invites her to get refreshed and he brings her bread and this kind of wine, sour wine. Does bread and wine mean anything to any of you guys? I want you to hear something this morning. The only time that we have to drink what's sour and bitter anymore is when we're remembering that Jesus drank it once for all. He took the bitter drink that I no longer have to take. He took it for me. He drank it in my place. He received it to his lips and took it into himself and then said, the job's done, it is finished. We don't have to drink of what's bitter anymore. Yeah, there, there's moments where I think us as Protestants miss something out from our Catholic brothers and sisters when they drink some real wine. Our like nice fruity sweet grape juice doesn't really capture what it should taste like. It's dry. It's hard. It's bitter. But it's sweet. It's sweet because Jesus has taken the drink for us that we can't drink for ourselves. Cling to the King, hold on to the name that he's given you, and know when we're in those dry, bitter, hard seasons, we have a God who gets it. He's been there for us in our place, and he's taken a drink of that same cup so we no longer have to. And he will now exchange bitter for sweet, sour for pleasant. That's what he has for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your extravagant love. Thank you, God, that when we drift, when we wander, God, when we get into dry seasons, even when we haven't left your presence, God, that you are there, that you are faithful. God, that you will work to redeem and heal and touch our lives. God, would you help us to hold fast, to hold on to you, God, if we're being tempted or drawn away to Moab, God, that we would stick with you and trust and watch that you are faithful and sure and good. God, that you will redeem. Lord, if if we look at our lives right now and we realize, God, I'm there, I'm in Moab. I've taken the name Mara. God, that we we would journey home. God, we would turn back to you. God, we'd be real with you. Lord, we'd express our hurt, our frustration. We'll be real about where we are. But Jesus, I thank you that you hear and you can take it and that you can relate. You are the great high priest who can relate to us. Jesus, thank you that you've taken the bitter drink in our place and that we can look to you and exchange our bitter for your sweet that you offer. Jesus, we remember you this morning. We hold on to you this morning. Thank you that you hold on to us. It's in your precious and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen.